I'm Tisha Bader, and in the news, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's address to pro-Israel lobby APAC, the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, at its policy summit in Washington, D.C. Speaking on the administration's stance on a number of issues regarding Israel, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the Abraham Accords, and more. While Washington Bureau Chief of the JTA, Ron Campius, was at the speech in D.C., and he wrote extensively about it for the JTA. He joins us now from Virginia to discuss. Ron, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Pleasure, as always. So the the Secretary of State covered a lot of ground in his speech to AIPAC, but let's start with the topics noted in the title of your article, on the JTA, which was Antony Blinken tells AIPAC Israel-Saudi ties are a priority while two-state solution can feel remote, to quote the Secretary of State. So let's start with Saudi Arabia, uh, where where Blinken is actually in at the moment, meeting with its leaders on a number of issues, including reportedly discussing potential normalization with Israel. And the Secretary of State said in his speech that the U.S. has a real national security interest in promoting that normalization. Why is this being pushed now, in your opinion? I think that, uh, you know, the United States wants to uh, uh, to bring Saudi Arabia uh, back into the fold. Not that it's left the fold, but uh, just yesterday they they reopened their embassy in Tehran. Uh, The uh, they've got the. There's just a sense in the Middle East uh, that the United States has retreated to a degree from the Middle East. And so uh, the Gulf states, in the, the, aside from Israel, America's natural allies in the Middle East are thinking that they have to accommodate Iran to a certain extent, even though uh, the issues that divide them deeply are still there. And so they want to signal to uh, the Saudis that, no, we're still engaged. And uh one way that we can be engaged is to uh, to uh, to intensify your relationship with Israel. I mean, there's like a there's a kind of a sub rosa relationship there has been for years between the Saudis and uh, and Israel, but uh, they want to make it more formal because I, I think that the the one con- consistent thing about uh, U.S. policy in the Middle East that introduces all presidents Obama, Trump, Biden is that they want to keep Iran off balance, and the best way to do that is to uh, fortify Israel. That's why you've also seen uh, a recent increase in uh, military cooperation with Israel. And so having a, you know, having a, an Israeli-Saudi relationship would would help. But it's obviously something that Israel very much wants that uh, Netanyahu has said as his premier uh, foreign policy priority is bringing the Saudis into the uh, Abraham Accords. So th- those are some of the reasons why he would bring bringing it up now. Do you feel like it's something that we could see happen in the next few months in the near future, or does it feel like a long shot at this point? Uh, it feels like somewhat a long shot. I mean, like the last year, the United States uh, brokered a deal where where Israel could fly into Saudi airspace. So perhaps we'll see more incremental gestures like that. Uh, Israelis are openly going to Saudi Arabia now and participating in summits. Maybe we'll see more of that, I guess. I think what you know one of one of the reasons it's a long shot is because uh, Israel seems to be in crisis with its uh, democracy arguments, and uh, there are there's an intensification of the conflict with the Palestinians, and I think that uh, it's hard 
for Arab countries who who want to normalize relations with Israel to do so in the uh, in the current uh, environment. The interesting thing about that too, and Blinken sort of noted in his speech saying, you know, we, we want to push that potential relationship, but we don't want it to take away from the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, right? But in a way, when you talk about the Abraham Accords and expanding Israel's ties with these Muslim countries, it it sort of brings to the forefront a more positive story of expanding those ties. How does it affect efforts to then work with the Palestinians? Do you think it it helps in that effort or does it sort of take the focus away from it? Well, the Palestinians are insisting that it doesn't help, that you know they, they need the leverage of recognizing Israel, uh, of other countries recognizing Israel in order to advance. But I think for them, that ship has sailed. That ship has sailed with the Abraham Accords and the Trump administration. And, and one thing that the Abraham Accords actually showed is that the closer you bring in these countries, the, the more influence they might have on Israel and Palestinian issues. Uh, the United Arab Emirates was uh, about to fall, walk away from the Abraham Accords because uh, Netanyahu was talking about annexing parts of the West Bank. And what happened is that uh, the Trump administration at the time got, his, got Netanyahu to walk back from that pledge. And that actually accelerated the uh, Abraham Accords. And you had them completed before Trump left office. And so, you know, having... You know, once Israel is normalized relations with an Arab country, I think this is the way the thinking goes, and certainly for the Biden administration and for the Trump administration before it. Once those that's that's not the entire carrot. There are a lot more carrots in the box. So you normalize relations. There's also other things you can do besides normalized relations. You can intensify business ties. You can do other things, and uh, those things can be used to rather than uh, normalization itself to leverage influence on Israel as far as the Palestinians go. I don't think the Palestinians are not receptive to that theory uh, as of now, but uh, it, interestingly, it's, it shows that it's actually played out uh, as far as uh, we, we, as we saw in 2020. So you mentioned uh, Blinken speaking out against um, any sort of annex, or you spoke about annexation, and Blinken referenced that in his speech also to APAC, saying that that was not um, helpful steps in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and um, also spoke about um, Jewish settlements and how, in his view, he also said, uh, I'm just going to quote now from his speech, settlement expansion clearly presents an obstacle to the horizon of hope that we seek. Right. What, what was the response to that, and how did you interpret um, that's kind of been the policy of, of the Biden administration. Was there anything different or nuanced in speaking about it this week? I think what was interesting, what I what I thought was like there was an emphasis also on, you know, what Israelis called pay for slay, the Palestinian Authority subsidizing uh, the families of terrorists who have um, killed civilians and uh, or, or carried out attack terrorist attacks. Uh, and he explicitly mentioned it. He mentioned it in the same moment that he mentioned settlements, because there's been a perception that Israel doesn't mention that enough uh, in terms of uh, the sides doing things that are inhibiting um, the advance of peace. So he's mentioning that. He's, he's sort of he's saying to the Israelis here, I'm putting these things together so you understand that I that I understand that both of these things are important. And, and you know, one reason he's doing that, and one thing the reason he's mentioning settle expansion expansion at all is that the uh, the um, 
the Biden administration has a very delicate game to play in the Middle East. They're preoccupied with Ukraine. They do not need the Middle East blowing up. They want to advance the Abraham Accords. They want to get the Saudis. You know, one thing that Blinken is going to be bringing up with the Saudis is uh, is is oil and uh, and the whole Russia Ukraine thing, uh, and sub you know uh, perhaps increasing oil supply in order to uh, address the fact that it's been diminished because of the war in terms of Russian oil, and so they need all that. They need that very delicate balance. And there have been the tensions have been intensifying in Israel and between Israel and the Palestinians. They don't need that to blow up. So I think that's what that's what you should be reading into the um, in the remarks he he's, he made and the pleading he made to both sides not to uh, escalate tensions. And you mentioned the, the pay for slay, which is of course when the the Palestinian Authority um, gives funds to Palestinian terrorists and or their families as you said, who have murdered uh, Israeli civilians. And this is um, something that the U.S. has spoken out against many times. Um, Blinken also condemned, of course, the rocket attacks from Gaza uh, Mm -hmm. that we saw earlier this year and um, terrorist attacks. Do you think or, or how do you feel about the fact that he that the Biden administration does not seem to really be pushing a return to peace talks, a return to the negotiating table, but rather saying chances look remote right now, but we're maintaining hope. Right. Is there any change there? And again, I I, I feel like it's going to re- circle back to what you were saying about walking a delicate, a fine line right now. But how do how do you feel about that? Oh, I think that's it. I mean, that's the key is his phrase horizon of hope. I think that, uh, I don't know if Kamala Harris, uh, Used the same phrase, I think, last night at the uh, at the Israeli embassy 75th anniversary uh, gala affair. Uh, I think that is is the key phrase. They're not they they just don't see the prospect right now for for peace talks. They've seen periods before where you've had governments on both sides that are really aren't interested in peace talks, and yet you've had an American administration that's pushed for them, and it just kind of backfires. You saw that in 2014 after the the John Kerry. Speech pushed uh peace talks uh culminated in a summer war in that in that in that year and they don't they, they definitely don't want that again but they don't want to preclude the possibility of a two-state solution and they want to keep uh it, the options op- open so that's why they're asking both sides to de-escalate maybe one day we'll get to the point where you have a uh i mean you know the the impossible thing on the palestinian side for them is that they have a, a very weak uh, President Abbas, they have a, a weak, almost non-functioning government on the West Bank. They have an outright, um, <laughs> you know, eliminationist uh, government in Gaza with Hamas and how it regards the Israelis. And, it, and they also have a, a very right-wing government in Israel with a faction that rejects any kind of uh, two-state outcome. So why push it now when it's just going to, you know, it, it, it's just going to collapse in on itself and it could be even worse. It could like lead to a, a conflict. And interesting, he says, the the emphasis now is on re-engaging, re-engaging the Palestinian people and building trust. So sort of keeping that door open towards someday reaching a two-state solution, but that not the, the main idea at the moment, but rather how do we regain trust? How do we sort of build bridges? And Blinken mentioned um, 
under um, Nita Lowy, there are these prob the, there are these uh, there's this program to engage Palestinians and and again build those relationships. So that sort of seemed to be the the forefront of what he was talking about. It, it seems. I mean, yes, there's that. There's the Nita Lowy funded program, uh, the, the 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 program that she pushed through Congress, in which Congress I think sets aside fifty million dollars a year for people to people programs, because those are seen as critical to at least maintaining the undergirding of peace should it ever come out. So you had like, you know, you had decades of that happening in Northern Ireland before the Good Friday Accords in the in the 90s. And those those relationships that were built up helped advance uh, the peace. And so that's the same thinking here. But uh, I think even more uh, germanely, uh, the United States and, you know, I'd, I'd imagine at least factions within the Netanyahu government, perhaps not the entire government, uh, they want to make things better for the Palestinians on the ground while they're waiting. They want to create, you know, that's part of the the whole bringing in the Abraham Accords, despite the fact that the Palestinians are objecting thing, which is like, at least let's create investment property uh, opportunities where there'll be jobs in the West Bank, where where it'll be easy for Palestinians to do things. And I, you know, I know at least the Israeli security establishment is very much thinking that way. And so that's another way of preserving the horizon of hope is, um, is is giving Palestinians some measure of hope, even if it's not for statehood or uh, sovereignty at this time. It's for uh, economic independence or, or just economic sustainability. And Blinken did also touch on the judicial reform issue, which, which you know, the U.S. has been sort of repeating the same message to try and convey how they feel, but not step on any toes. Um, right. He said, we continue to express our support for core democratic principles, including a separation of powers, checks and balances, and the equal administration of justice for all citizens of Israel. And um, how did that how did that go across how, in, in the uh, in the audience? How did people respond to that? Uh, I don't think there was much of a response to that, per se. I think it was polite applause. What was interesting is that when Kamala Harris made the same point last night at the embassy, there were like big cheers, which is interesting. I mean, and I think that's because uh, a lot of expatriate Israelis are on the side of the protesters. And, like, you know, what, who do you invite to an Israel Independent State Party is expatriate Israelis. A lot of Jewish Americans who would also be present were there. And Jewish American organizations have taken that uh, up that cause as well. And, and a lot of Jewish Democrats who were there that night, a lot of good congressional Jewish Democrats and their staffers, and they've also uh, taken up that cause. So there, the, you know, there was a real receptivity for it. And she was blunter than um, than Blinken was at APAC. I mean, you may be like you were, you were having your breakfast <laughs> at the APAC conference and you weren't listening to everything he said because he was he was kind of subtle, but she she paused and I, you know, because she was quoting Michael Herzog about strong institutions and checks and balances. And then she paused and she said, and I'll add an independent judiciary. And uh, and so you, she made sure that you heard it. Everybody there cheered. I think that, uh, you know, one of the things the Biden administration detects is that it's it has very little to lose in terms of uh, of uh, votes here in the United States. It has very little to lose in terms of uh, the support of the Israelis because of what they're doing is they're supporting Israeli protesters. They're not they're not playing like between Israel and its enemies. They're they're taking a side within an Israeli argument that it's having within itself. And so they're going to continue to push that. And of course, it's also consistent with the the Biden administration's emphasis on on democracy, not just in Israel, like uh, the you know in Ukraine, made uh, pressure on Zelensky to to keep a uh, 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 to keep corruption out of government. 
in uh, in other European countries where there are concerns about democracy everywhere in the world. And so I, I think the thinking inside the Biden administration is that if we're pushing this one, you know, in countries that we don't even don't even have close relations with, how can we not push this in the country in our, in our closest ally? How can we not make a statement about this with our closest ally? Interesting. Um, so how was the whole speech received, in your opinion? You were there, you were in the room. What was the what was the sense? There was like they loved it. You know, I think they loved it because uh, Blinken was uh, very, very bullish about the U.S. Israel defense relationship. And, uh, you know, APAC is very, very um, committed to expanding the Abraham Accords. They um, they like, you know, or I don't know if the viewers know whenever there's an APAC delegation in Washington, they don't just meet and have breakfast and <laughs> lunch and dinner and talk, hear people talk. They set aside time to go up to the hill, and they were targeting over 430 offices out of 535. So, you know, they were going to get into uh, uh, interviews, conversations with a lot of either lawmakers or their staffs. And they had a four-item agenda, and one big item on the agenda was expanding the Abraham Accords. So, you know, if you've if you've psyched up a group of 500 people to say go into Congress and talk up the Abraham Accords. Of course, it's very it's it's great if the guy who you know who comes from the administration makes that a big priority, expanding the um, the Abraham Accords. It, it sounds like an an exciting time, it, certainly in that respect. And as you said, Israel's also dealing with a lot of difficult situations at the moment. We have the judicial reforms with talks ongoing with. Depending on which day you you look at the news, reports that seem a little more optimistic of whether Israel will be able to reach an agreement or something that at least all the sides can live with in this regard, right. or or whether the protests will continue, etc. And then, of course, you have the rise of terrorist attacks and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which is happening. You know, just days ago, we had a, a tragic. Uh, Three IGF soldiers were killed on the on the border with Egypt, which it's unclear uh, what the motive was there. But this is this is almost a daily reality in Israel. Shots yeah. were fired at at cars driving through the West Bank. This happens, you know, several times a week, and you hope that the person comes out unscathed. Um, so there's a lot going on. How do you and and Israel just turned seventy five, right? We have these amazing celebrations. We had the Celebrate Israel Parade just days ago. Um, you as in the job that you do every day, how do you sort of view where Israel is at in this moment? Uh, I know it's a big question. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that you know Israel is is trying to define itself. I mean, I think that the you know there's there are. You know, I made Aliyah in 1978. Uh, I lived in Israel off and on for 15 years. I've closely followed Israel. I listen to the Israeli news in Hebrew. I read Israeli papers. And so what Israel is, has always, always been a question. And But usually it was, you know, handled in uh, the ivory towers of academic debate or in, um, uh, in papers and, you know, editorial pages, things like that. And, you know, because it's such a painful, difficult question, it was delayed. And I think it's been delayed, you know, after 75 years, uh, which somebody has pointed out, I think, was the lifetime of the Second Commonwealth. Uh, the uh, It's like you can't delay it any longer. And so I think that that's the argument that's taken. So that's the bigger picture. So you can look at, 
you know, you can take the incremental view and say, this is a story about one side who say the judges have too much power and the other side who say that you're trying to take all the power away from judges and create an authoritarian state. And you can look at that, but you can also look at the broader picture and say, this is, these are Israelis finally coming together to say, okay, what are our principles? What are, what's our bottom line in terms of who we are, in terms of who is a Jew, uh, in terms of uh, the rights of minorities and the, you know, the, uh, the degree to which minorities need to be protected from the, uh, from the majority in terms of the role of religion in the state, because that's, uh, that's a very big issue. Where do we draw the lines? And um, maybe we should be a little less absolute about it. And so, you know, hopefully that's the conversation that's going on in the president's mansion uh, in uh, in Jerusalem, um, where the, the the parties are meeting to negotiate. You know, the ultimate solution, everybody says the wish list is that Israel finally sits down and writes a constitution and all these, um, uh, you know, and that's like, that's what the, that's what moved the, the Supreme Court in the 1990s to say, okay, enough, we have to start laying down red lines because Israel has been around for 50 years at that time. And it has, you know, the government hasn't laid down red lines and the rights of people are, are need to be protected. And maybe they went too far and maybe it was the wrong way to go about it. Maybe they shouldn't have bigfooted it, but that was the motive. And I think that this is now the motive that's driving people, you know, to clash, but also to come together and, and figure out. It could certainly be, or, or it has the possibility to be a turning point for the good, as you said, for, for people to come together and figure out some of those foundational principles. And as we've spoken about before, these protests have kind of also had the silver lining of Israelis coming out across the spectrum of, of religiousness, of uh, young, old, religious, secular, from really all parts of Israeli society wrapped in Israeli flags, making their voices heard, which has been a really interesting thing to watch and, and has never happened in this scope in the country before. That's right. That's right. This is, uh, it's truly unprecedented. And the sustained, you know, the sustained protests also, they're still getting, you know, hundreds of thousands of people into the streets every Saturday night. So I don't think it's going to go away. And hopefully the the folks, like I said, who are missing, meeting in the, in the presidential uh, residence are listening. Yes, hopefully some some agreement that that will satisfy people, you know, at least to have the ability to move forward. And it just feels like the country is so torn that there's this deep, deep tear right now, which is, you know, even made more heartbreaking and painful because as I just talked about, everyone's child is drafted into the IDF. At the end of the day, parents in Israel have an array of political views they stand for the for reforms, against the reforms. At the end of the day, almost everyone's children, not everyone, but we have issues of the, of the ultra-Orthodox, let's say, but most of Israel's children go and serve in the army. And mm -hmm. this is a, a difficult, frightening reality, but it's one that Israelis are also proud of, that they have this incredible defense forces that protect the country. Um, but it is also a very harsh reality sometimes. At the end of the day, the people of Israel are the people of Israel. And these are the things that they face no matter what their political points of view are about any issue. Yeah. Yeah. Now, they, one of my favorite ever Israeli cartoons was a, a cartoonist named Dudugeva who 
if you ever go to Tel Aviv, you'll see his duck all over the city. Um, and he wrote, he did a cartoon every day for like a couple of decades, just on a, about a duck about to, about to being killed in, in a in one way or the other. And one of my favorite cartoons is of a duck seated at a table with a little egg in an egg dish. And the, the duck is saying, you'll understand when you're older, which is, it's such an Israeli cartoon. I mean, yeah, we're sacrificing our, our children. I mean, it's, it's such a, uh, it's such a very, very painful thing uh, for Israelis to have to, to contemplate that, the, that fact. And yet they, they encourage their kids to go into, well, like you said, not all of them, most of them, are proud of their kids for going to the army. They encourage their kids to go into the army. And now they have to grapple with the why they're going into the uh, army. Right. What are we fighting for? What is what? How do we want this country to be and be the country that we love with all our hearts? It's 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 a complex issue and uh, an interesting question. And hopefully, um, you know, as you said, the the reform question will be resolved and and perhaps lead to a constitution of some kind. And again, reaching some common ground that will bring the country a little bit back together again. Ron Campius is Washington Bureau Chief of the JTA. He was at the address at APAC with Secretary of State Antony Blinken. And we thank him so much for his insight and for his time today. Thank you, Ron, so much as always for being here. Thank you. And thank you, as always, to our director, Sloan Copeland, to our transmissions manager, John McDevitt, technical manager, Michael Paley, and to our producer, Carol Lilienthal. And thank you for watching In the News.